0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. Uh, the last book I wrote was heavy. All right. Hey, Gary. This is E.B. So uh, my name is Randy Rebine. Uh, but my mm. name is Jared Krizoska. Oh. I, I don't think I'm a person that
1: curses a lot. The heart goes about to end I'm, I'm
0: excited. Awesome. Hi. Uh, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. This is the first time that I've had... A, a mother and a daughter on this show. And I'm so excited for this. I'm so excited. Can you both take some time just to introduce yourself?
1: Sure. I don't know how to do this. I'll go first. Okay, so I am Namrata Tripathi. And I'm uh, the publisher of an imprint at Penguin Young Readers called Kokila, And I'm also Uma's mom, who just crawled away. Uma, papa <laughs> sazara. Uma, you
0: can't run from us.
1: Yeah, gonna come back and just say your name? No, she has now gone into hiding, almost under the couch. Uh, that was Uma Raymond, age nine
0: she is always welcome to come back whenever she is ready because i do i do have questions for her and i would love to to hear from her coming from a third grader yeah right yeah
1: because uma you know that gary's a third grade teacher so he probably has some very good questions for you here we go
0: ah there she is (laughs) uma what is your favorite subject in school
1: Hmm, i think reading
0: well that makes sense That does make sense, obviously. Um, Can you tell me maybe some of your favorite authors or a different genre that you like to read?
1: What books do you like to read? Well, I love Warriors. Warriors, Mm. big in our house.
0: Very popular book. What else do you like?
1: Mm. What were some of the graphic novels you've been reading that you like? Hmm. Suddenly I'm drawing a blank too. For a while it was Amulet. Yeah. Um the best friends books the shannon hale yeah
0: oh fun, fun.
1: um uh, oh what was that one uma that we really liked about um, the girl and her mom who move in next door to that family uh, oh god i'm sure it's on your shelf and i could find it i have no idea hmm. what you're talking you have no about. idea what i'm talking about <laughs> a lot basically a lot of a lot of, com- a lot of comics i feel like yeah
0: i love graphic novels too I really love graphic novels. Are you more of like a fantasy kind of, do you like fantasy books or would you say like real, realistic fiction?
1: So realistic means what's like in real life and fantasy is sort of more make-believe stuff in different worlds. Hmm. Like Wings of Fire would be fantasy and Anna Anna Banana would be realistic. Hmm not sure i kind of like not both
0: sure. yeah that's, i think that's a great that's a great answer and I, I ask that because my students as well have a hard time answering it and they just often say i love lots of different books and i think that's totally okay it's totally okay i have more questions for you are you ready
1: okay
0: <laughs> so this question shouldn't be too hard all right, so this is the question. If you could eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? One thing, just one thing.
1: Seriously? Seriously,
0: what do you think? Yeah, what would what would I it be? I
1: have no idea.
0: You don't have a favorite thing that you love to eat, or maybe something that you don't you can't eat all the time. Mm, I don't
1: know. So much. Uma loves to eat so much. Sushi? Not Ooh. That Not uh, that much. Amkachar? I guess. Amkachar, pickled mangoes. Ah,
0: love maybe. it. Maybe. I actually love pickled mangoes as well, actually. So I put on so everything.
1: <laughs> I remember one thing when Uma was quite little, He must have been like five or something, and her dad made this really nice gnocchi for her. And she was like, mm. and then we decided that it might be more palatable if we put amkachar on it, which is like such an abomination, <laughs> but like such a Punjabi thing to do. And so she mixed like amkachar <laughs> into the Punyoki and ate it all. And then her dad saw it and he was like, that is terrible. And I was like, you're not wrong, but also your daughter is Punjabi. <laughs> I love it. I love it.
0: Uma, what about movies? What's your favorite movie? Oh. Hmm. Are you like, do you like watching movies?
1: Yeah. Movies and yeah. shows? Yeah. Mm. Yeah,
0: so you could say show as well. What What would you say your favorite show or movie is?
1: Hmm. I don't really think I have one. Okay, what are some that you really like? Mm. Like these days, what are you watching a bunch? She's crawled off the chair. <laughs> Not the ground. Mm. You can think about that one, Uma.
0: Yeah, take your time. There you is no wrong go. answer. There's net no of course not of course not. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. that, I'm how are, you? Uh, how the- how are, how are you doing? How are you doing in regards to? And I always ask that question lightly because I know that times are very different in lots of different parts of the world. So yeah, um, you're working and you're a mom, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you're carrying lots of different hats as well. So um, yeah, how's life going for you?
1: I mean. Pandemic life is, um, I mean, in some ways, I feel like, obviously, like everyone, pretty challenging. There's sort of a global weight that I think we're all feeling. On the other side, I feel like really grateful and lucky. We've all been healthy. Mm -hmm. I got my first vaccine this morning.
0: Nice. Oh, yeah. yeah, You you said, I remember three in the
1: morning, but I was like, I'll go when I'm told. Mm -hmm. Um, So that all feels good, but it's definitely been really hard to be. Yet Uma is fully remote from school, so wow. and I'm not a good teacher, right? I'm not a third grade teacher. I wish, <laughs> I wish we could like fold our powers together, and you could just come here and help out because <laughs> I think, um, you know, we just don't have like the knowledge or patience to sort of be a of great teacher to her. So that's that's been hard. Uh, and then in the midst of that, trying to balance, yeah, your your own work as a professional, and then kind of mm-hmm. everyone's mental health, your family's, your own. Uh, so that part is definitely challenging I think it's hard to be I quite like a lot of alone time and not having to be out that much it's been all right but Mm -hmm. I miss I miss my people like I do you know I never used to talk on the phone but like I miss my I miss my girlfriends I miss my family I miss my mom who's in India Mm -hmm. um and I miss my team at work I feel like it's hard for me to be like a good leader to them Mm -hmm. and I think I um I worry about that a little bit, but I'm trying to be like, you know what? We all had to have the year we had. And sure. then maybe I learned some things from it and move forward. So I think for me, it's been a really challenging year. There's been a lot of, a lot to kind of hold, but I think mm-hmm. I've learned more in this one year than maybe yeah. all the prior ones combined. So I think that's a more good thing. Interesting,
0: It yeah. is. And it's funny. Cause I've heard that story from so many people they've mentioned really? how, unfortunately with the times that we're living in they've had time to reflect or go through some things that they would have never gone through they've learned things about themselves or their colleagues or their workspace or their relationships um and it's it is it is heartbreaking on this side but at the same time it's like wow you can really oddly enough benefit from this as well um which i think it just shows that it also can be a blessing in disguise in a, in a weird way, of course. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that like, yeah, when the pandemic started, I was talking to friends and I kind of, you know, you want everything to be, everyone to be healthy and for things to go back mm-hmm. or for things mm-hmm. to be safe as quickly as possible. But I was really nervous about the idea of like having things go back to normal. Because sure. I was like, I think there's an opportunity here for us to really be healthier in our brains and kind of in, our, in relationship to each other. And I was afraid that if we went back to the way it was very quickly, I would never internalize the lessons. So it's like, I needed it to be a longer pandemic in order to understand what I need to, how I need to change to go forward. Sure, um, sure. But I'm, you know, heartbroken at what that means for the world. But I think like maybe because of that too, because of the weight of what it means to have like a pandemic going for so long, have so many lives lost, so many people affected. Mm-hmm. You you have to take the lesson. If you don't, you know. Then you've completely, sort of. I don't know. It's like it's, I think it's how it, you know it's how you're going to honor the memories of all of these people. It's like Agreed. if you don't internalize it, so Agreed. then you've you missed that. So yeah, so I feel like that. You're right. That's a blessing.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I'm I'm so excited to talk to you. I remember listening to. Is um, it a year ago now at NCTE? Um, and you did I mean be
1: more than print. a year because last year we didn't go anywhere.
0: Two years, two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know you then. I remember just seeing online. Would that be was that your was that the first year that the imprint had kind of started or
1: so we it might have been twenty eighteen. So twenty eighteen was the year we were announced in January okay. twenty eighteen, and then our first books pubbed in May of twenty nineteen.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes sense, then. That makes sense. Um, and I was, I was interested because I think you share parts of your story. Um, and I'm wondering if you could share a little bit of it now. And I asked that. Obviously, you can't tell me that in the amount of time that we have, of course. Um, but can you tell me just a little bit about who you are um, in regards to, like, family history, um, in regards to how you got to kind of where you are today as well?
1: Um, okay. So there's... So many ways to answer that question. But I think, <laughs> in regards to family history, kind of like what was the journey that sure, got me here? Sure. I feel like I often answer everything sort of geographically, just because that's how I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I mean, kind of similar to how your your professional life now, right? You're teaching at international schools. You move from country to country. Where were you before Manila? Were you in
0: uh, Singapore?
1: You were in Singapore. Okay. All right. Yeah. And were you in Kuwait at all? Did I just make that up? Make
0: I that was up? in Kuwait. That's okay. like, you right. have a crazy, how do you remember that?
1: I don't know. I must've, you know, I think I read it when you reached out and I was like, okay. Cause uh. I had, I have, you know, I've never lived in those places, but I have people very close to me who went to the school in Singapore and the one in Kuwait. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, so I, my, my parents were diplomats for India um and so I grew up moving with them from country to country um my so I was born in the Soviet Union um and then they were posted to Afghanistan so I lived in Kabul and then we lived back in Delhi for a couple of years and then in Ottawa Canada so we have Canada in common as well and then in um Karachi Pakistan and then in Bonn Germany and then Uh, My mom and I went to Warsaw, Poland. My dad went to Bucharest, Romania, and my brother came to the States to go to university. And then I moved to New York um, in 1997. So I've been here since then. And then my parents kept doing their travels. And so that's where I would sort of go to to go home for, I mean, longer breaks. I could obviously never go home for like Thanksgiving because my mom was in Zimbabwe my first year, for example. But like, you know, for summers or something, right? That's where I would go to. So I always had this sort of very broad and sort of nomadic sense of home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been in New York now 24 years, which feels very unusual to kind of settle somewhere. But I think like New mm-hmm. York is such a good place for immigrants to come. It's like sure, where sure. people from everywhere end up. Mm-hmm. So I feel pretty, like I fit in in that way. Um, and then of course I, you know, gave birth to a little New Yorker. So that feels like (laughs) it ties me to here. Um, and I think, and then in, in New York, I always had, was my professional story was I, you know, I came to, to New York to go to college here. I went to Columbia. I studied English literature and then I began in publishing and I've pretty much always worked in children's books. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, in the beginning I thought. Maybe I'm not like qualified be- to be in children's books because I wasn't like a teacher or a parent, but it was just like a love of storytelling that I think makes all of us come to literature of any sort. And then also I love working with like the visual piece of it in picture books and graphic novels. So it ended up being a good fit for me. And I, I started at Harper, Collins, and then I worked at Hyperion, which is owned by Disney, and then at Simon & Schuster. And then about s- a little more than seven years ago, I came to Penguin, And in 2018, um, launched this imprint called Kokila, which is really focused on um, kind of what we say, like centering stories from the margins. And I think it's something I'd always been interested in, but over those, you know, over the last 20 years in in children's books have found a little bit more, um, you know, I think along the way, I'd sort of been seeing those gaps because you wonder like, where do I fit in in this whole story or what do I mm-hmm. see is missing? And got better at maybe articulating it and also exerting some of my own power in that process. And you kind of have to build mm-hmm. up some chips to be able to cash them. And so of I think course. at that point in my career, I felt like there was, it felt like the right next step because that opportunity didn't exist for me professionally or personally. And also I felt mm-hmm. like a real need and, 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 desire to do it. And I think if you were at that talk at NCTE, I probably talked about how launching Coquila came from like a place that was like the intersection of like optimism and rage. And I really that was kind of the sort of underlying drive behind it. Wow. Um and that's that's what I've been doing for a couple of years now. And we have a great team and we make a bunch of books and we can talk more about Coquila. As we go on, if that's if that's a, what a we're bunch, here to do, you or, or, or
0: you make a bunch of amazing books. Amazing. I know it's
1: been it's been great. I think the thing is we have one, the group, um like our creative group. So it's Jasmine mm-hmm. Riberos, our editor, our um art director, and then we've got Zareen Jaffrey, Joanna Cardenas, and Sydney Monday on our editorial team, and me, and we're now hiring a new person as well. Um, are just they're all really smart and curious and generous women so it kind of Mm -hmm. pushes us all to be a little better than I think we could have been individually that's what I feel at least for me and -hmm. this last year I feel it greatly where I think they have cared for and pushed me more than I could have ever imagined so I feel like you know I got to set up this thing and then I really got to benefit from it when I needed it most so that's been kind of a tremendous gift and then we work with like the best authors and illustrators like the creators we work with are so smart that of course the books are going to be great if you give them space to really be you know their their freest selves Mm -hmm. um we're gonna have killer work so it's been a nice range of range of stuff we've been publishing and I'm really excited for the books that are yet to come as well because we've got just so much good stuff in the lineup so so yeah I'm really proud yeah
0: that's so cool and it's obviously a testament to the work that you've done as a team because you've built a culture of just trust and it sounds like accountability is super important Um, and if you are coming in and your team is coming in knowing that you are all going to hold each other accountable like you have I don't want to say you don't have any choice but like of course you're going to create and Um, do things that are wonderful and amazing, right? So I think that's so nice to hear that not only you are learning, um, not only your team is learning, but you're also learning from your team, which is just really nice to hear from a leader, of course. Um, I'm wondering, like, what are some of the, like, challenge specific challenges that you've had, I guess, since you've started this position? Um, And that could be anything. Regards to um, the work that you're doing, dealing with other people, etc. Um,
1: I mean, I think the challenges probably keep evolving as time goes by. Um, in the very beginning, when I was just trying to launch the imprint, we didn't have the books yet, and people were just sort of learning who we are and why we're doing this. It was kind of not really surprising but maybe it was unsurprising that's why it was irritating like the kinds of questions that i got about like why this needed to exist and what this meant for other imprints and does this mean that only we can do this kind of thing and there was this sort of um there was a real sort of um there was a real zero-sum kind of Thinking behind it, which is ridiculous because we're a tiny team, we can only do so much, and, and and we're all we're all all our work like informs each other, and it you know that kind of thing. Um, and and I'm delighted when there's like great competition for the books that I want because when I, that I want to acquire when my books are out in the market because like I want Uma's bookshelf to be full of many more books than what I can publish. Um, and and even the questions, there was a real centering of sort of whiteness the white experience the kinds of books that center that experience or the the industry that has centered that workforce too And that was you know that was um not surprising because it's why I wanted to start the imprint um and again so many other people have done this work too I kind of wanted just to be able to do it in a way that I could contribute sort of meaningfully
0: Mm -hmm. but it was
1: It was tough. It was annoying to have to answer that question again and again. Once the book started coming out, I felt like that wasn't really an issue. I kind of said like, why don't you see what we do? And then you can let the books and the work speak for itself. And then if there's questions we can pick up on the other side. And I felt like once the books came out, people sort of understood the caliber of work we were talking about, what this sort of process that we'd built would result in the sort of community we would build. And now I think it's a very different relationship. We are, and again, we're such a, we're still sort of a baby imprint. We're still quite new, mm-hmm. but I yeah. know other houses are looking at us. I see people across the industry, across our house, looking at what we're doing. And that's great because I feel like we get to exert this sort of outsized yeah. pressure as a like small group you know, in a big think, house. Yeah. But um, And so sometimes the challenge there is to kind of, we sort of went at the work really looking inwardly, trusting our instincts, speaking to each other, creating a community of, of thinkers that, that trust one another to make our best work. I wasn't really looking outside to be like, how will I be received? What will they think of the work? How successful it will be? It's like, I have to make, I have to define for myself what our standard of success or excellence will be sure. for each title and for each of us, and then work in a very focused manner to achieve it and not get distracted by all of this other stuff. I think as we have more success, some of that stuff will be more distracting because there's more people being like, what are you guys doing? What have you you know yeah, yeah. And mostly I just feel like I was talking to a, a colleague and I said, you know, I don't, I, we're so little, like no one's paying attention. We're just here doing our work. We're like in our little cave. And she was like, your cave is made of glass and everyone is watching. And there is that piece of thing. It's like, "What? Well, who is everyone? We're, you know, we're children's books, we're a small industry. But there is a sense of like, I think when you try to do a thing where it's all women of color, we do feel a certain responsibility of being like, don't mess it up because it has broader ramifications for our whole community of like creators of color, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's always going to be a little bit challenging.
0: percent. Um, so- and it's, un- it's unfair, but at the same time, like you said, yes, it will always. And it has been that way, unfortunately, for some time, like... Yeah, people may say like, yeah, no one is watching, but yeah, people are definitely watching. Um, and I think I think you said it. I think I think it's different when people ask questions out of like curiosity um, and just like trying to f- understand. But then there's a difference from like, I guess, just being rude or racist or just like all those other things. Like, there's a huge difference. And you know, just as well as I know, like we can call that out and see that very openly um, when people are having conversations with us. So um, I hope with all of this amazing work that you're doing, um, you're handling that very well. Um, and I hope again with like your team and everyone else who's having to deal with it that they also don't have to deal with it um, as much as they, as they, they probably do. Because um, right. it is unfortunate, it is unfortunate. Yeah, um, I think
1: the the things that come to mind there are like, one, it has helped me to learn that a, a, oftentimes, like a question from someone else can be such an invitation and a chance to connect, but more sure. often than not, a question from someone else is really just a reflection of where they are and like what they're putting out in the world. It has quite nothing to do with you, and I think mm-hmm. the early part of building this thing made that quite clear. I got a lot of those kinds of questions that aren't really questions, mm-hmm. right? They weren't mm-hmm. about building a, a bond. It was something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's changing, I, I, I believe, and I hope. And then mm-hmm. um, I think your point about what the team experience is, I think that is one of the biggest challenges I have. It's just like, how do I make an environment where my group can thrive freely, mm-hmm. um, work in this larger ecosystem of publishing which allows us to do this work that without we care about yeah, but without, without yeah with yeah yeah like how yeah. do I what kind of buffer do I create so that they have the knowledge and exposure and all of that but also mm-hmm. like maybe absorb some of the stuff that can hinder your creative process of
0: course. of course yeah of course and that's hopefully with time and experience and again with the the continuous amount of books um, that you produce that gets better, hopefully, um, over time. Um, can you share with me, what are some books that you enjoyed growing up? Like, were you a big reader growing up as a kid?
1: Yeah, I think I, I think I read a fair amount. Um, you know, I, it depends on kind of where I was, like, in my childhood, like what country we're in, sure. Just depending on like, what school are you in? What's in the library? Mm
0: -hmm. What are
1: kids in that country reading? Um, So, you know, I think like when I started out in Canada, there was like some American literature and then some British literature because it's sort of that like cross section, (laughs) right? And Uh then I remember talking to someone, like I didn't read... um, I didn't read Babysitter's Club growing up. So there's all these like American classics I didn't really know. Like I didn't really know Maurice Sendak, even though when I started my mm-hmm. first job at Harper, I worked with him and I didn't, but I hadn't <laughs> grown up with him in that way. I kind of, you know, I didn't know Goodnight Moon. I didn't know all these like mm-hmm. kind of seminal- Staples, staples yeah. of American children's literature. Yeah. But I but I remember reading and I wonder, is this a Canadian thing or is this just like, I don't know, um, Sleepover Friends? And someone was like, is that some off-brand Canadian babysitter stuff?" I don't know slip? if it is.
0: I know the book. I don't you know? know. Is it? Is it I Canadian? Know. Is it? Canadian?
1: I have no idea. I can't tell. I know I exactly, go, what, I you're about, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about,
0: though. I know exactly what you're talking about, though.
1: So it's like you know, I had like Seuss and P.D. Eastman and those kinds of like libraries you would get when you were a kid, and and you know these kinds of things. And then I also had some of the stories that my mom would bring from India, like children's books, and she might read me sort of Indian myths and things like this. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up, when I started to love reading. I I love like Roald Dahl, you know, I just thought he was like kind of, I mean, we don't need to discuss who he was as a man, I mean, or we could actually, but if you're talking about sort of my reading (laughs) life, um, I didn't know about sort of how anti-Semitic he was then. So it's kind of a difficult Mm -hmm. relationship I have with him now, but like so funny and so wicked. And Mm -hmm. um, I got my whole class in Pakistan to like, we like all wrote to him. I was like, we can totally do this. So we were all like (laughs) in grade four. Four maybe four or five and we all wrote to him and he and his people or whoever wrote back it was you know not not too long before he died so that was amazing um, I remember loving as I grew up a little bit more like Cynthia Voigt and like Catherine Patterson the sort of like more sort of like emotionally resonant Children's sure. literature from the states, like sure. I remember reading, like Jacob, Have I Loved? And I was like, This is for children. This is incredible, <laughs> right? Like, kind of blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I read like a lot of comics, and because I'm, they see like for some reason, Indian Pakistan, mean, we read a lot of Archie comics. I have no mm. idea why these. Archie's
0: everywhere, though. Everywhere. Archie's, Archie is just yeah. Archie's everywhere, so I'm not surprised.
1: Yeah. I'm so read a lot of Archie comics, nice. and then uh, there was a lot of like um yeah which I'm doing with Uma now on the weekends my mom would read like Ramayan stories to us and that was really fun and so our plan for today because it's sort of a rainy day here was to make chai make treats watch Great British Baking Show and then (laughs) we finish out a Mayan book and then we have the Mahabhad like children's Mahabhad to start on and which is just like a fun thing to do on a rainy day get into bed with your tea and then be read to so it was really a little bit of everything. I, I love to read. I, I forgot, I, I read a lot of Nancy Drew.
0: Hmm. Um, Another book then, that's still in libraries and yeah. it's been around forever.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So it was a whole a whole bunch of stuff. Again, it was like pretty pretty white American literature is what I got at school. You know, I mm-hmm. loved Essie Hinton. Like I, I did get some of these pieces of like American literature uh, and I loved them. And then it was like when I became a teen, I didn't really know about YA. We didn't really have that in the same way. Yeah. And so it was just like, you start reading adult stuff, like whatever someone gave to you. So sometimes it would be like Western classics. And sometimes it would be like, here's, I still remember like, here's a book about like the hijacking of this flight that went from Canada to, you know? And I was like, oh yeah, this is very relevant to my life. So I would read those. So I don't know, it was sort of like whatever, whatever kind of fell into my paws is what I read. Yeah. But I, I did love to read. Ooh. Yeah
0: that's awesome and if if I think about my reading life and it hasn't I think I was such a I was more of a nonfiction reader for the most part I would read a lot of magazines a lot of like facts about and I I don't know how this happens but I do find that I have a lot of like young kids that come into third grade that just want to know facts like they love weird facts and like just like Guinness Book of World Records, like I was totally. always into to that stuff growing up, um, and
1: animal facts,
0: yeah, yeah, like all those things just like really interest me. And I didn't really get into like novels because I was introduced to like Harry Potter, which I like, I didn't mind, but I didn't love. Um, and then I kind of looked that's at quite, other that's books. kind of
1: an amazing like blurb. It's like Harry Potter. I didn't mind it. <laughs>
0: Most like m- like I have ki- almost all of my kids love Harry Potter and I think part of it because they've been introduced to the movies first like um, for whatever reason but for me like it was I don't remember reading a book that had people like me in it for like the longest time it's not even picture books I didn't see books that look like me and then I started reading like YA like as I got like a lot older like after university. And then I started being a teacher, and I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many more books out there that I didn't know existed. And it just kind of changed everything for me. So I'm not surprised by your story at all, because <laughs> it sounds similar to my bookshelves in elementary, middle school, yeah. and high school as
1: well. It's only later that you can look back and say, like, oh, wait a minute. Like, yeah, there were never any books about someone like me. And it's not like I need to exclusively read them, but there is. something that happens when you you don't exist in an imaginative world right you're like that's a powerful erasure and um it is it's it's fascinating to kind of go back and think about what the sort of deeper effects are on your on like the formation of your mind and imagination right when like that's how that's how it was built and i think yeah i find myself you know as the years have gone by and especially with the work i do now really looking back at that and finding that with the work i do now um there's so much I have to like push against in my own understanding of the world, because it was built in that environment, right? Like mm-hmm. on the one hand, I had this like very robust, proud Indian home. So we could be in Germany or Poland or Bakhtan and inside the doors of the house, it was India, you know, mm-hmm. it was it spoke Hindi and English and Indian food and there's Indian music and Indian culture. And it was just an Indian home. And so mm-hmm. there was a really strong sense of self. And then you walk outside the door and it could be whatever other random country and then you go to school and it was this sort of very American, international sure. school environment, which is largely pretty American because it wasn't the British school. And 100%. I think, <laughs> and we call it international. And it oh, was, I and know. I love that, <laughs> but it was really white dominant.
0: The hundred, yeah. Totally.
1: And that, I think, I mean, I was thinking about this with you, like, did you know that going in? Because I think there is sort of a romantic idea about international schools that we tell ourselves that I love, and I, and I love that, that experience of growing up I wouldn't trade it for anything but I mm-hmm. I think about like what would it have been like if I had the tools then like when I talk to Uma now and she's like reading a book she calls out like racist or sexist tropes <laughs> especially like this I love it
0: I love like, it like we
1: watched like 101 Dalmatians movie or it was I think that's what it was and we're like let's write movie reviews and she was like mama how do you spell sexist and I was like oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. What's going but on? Like, I, I didn't know how to do that then, and I think like no, if I had no. that lens, it probably would have been a little harder because it would probably rub up against me more. Mm-hmm. But like, imagine mm-hmm. what I wouldn't have internalized, you know? Which is a thing mm-hmm. that like in our international schools we love to just like sweep under the rug of like International Day.
0: I agree. It's so interesting because like for me, I had been taught in North America, so like my thing was like I went to school. I played basketball in university. I did my education degree, and I like wanted to travel because I hadn't really had I hadn't really had a chance to or an opportunity to, based on finances in my family for one. And I traveled for sports, and then international teaching came up. And then my teacher, my teacher, like my mentor, was like, "You should just like teach abroad." And they're like, "You won't have to sub." be in an international school and it was exactly what you said they say it is like it's very international like whatever that means and then you go to the school and it's like basically an American school and like I don't really know because as a new teacher you're just kind of there you're getting paid pretty well and then over time and I think This didn't happen until I was in Singapore and I did my master's degree. And part of my master's degree was on like culturally responsive teaching and bias education. And I went back to my classroom and I was like, holy shit, like this is like not good. (laughs) Some of the stuff that I'm like teaching, some of the resources that I'm using are not good. Mm -hmm. And then I'm realizing like looking at my colleagues and I'm looking at policies and I'm like, yeah, this is not really something that I think i enjoy and i think it's something that we should maybe have a conversation about as well um and it was harder because like there wasn't as much as i don't want to call it a buzz but kind of like now because it's so like out there um i guess people are wanting to they're i guess they're wanting to change or they're showing signs of wanting to change um but it wasn't there in international schools at all they didn't want to hear it um there are Their schools do want to. I would say that we are in a school right now that would like to change, and they're doing some of the things and they're taking the steps, etc. But it's an international school with a lot of like American like underlining, which is. I know none of our like our kids have American passports, but they are all kids for the most part. All kids of color. Like (laughs) they are coming from all different parts of the world. They have families that. Are multi race like they may go to a school in America, but they may not. Um, but they don't need to see a ton of kids that are white in their books or their texts. Um, it just isn't something they need to see. But if you're not, if you don't see that going in, like that's all—that's the only thing that they're going to see in their curriculum and their lessons. So it's interesting. It's a very yeah. Interesting I mean, I think world. it's
1: like. Um... You know, a couple of things come to mind when you talk about that. It's like one, it feels to me kind of an analog to, um, like liberal culture in America a little bit, right? So it's sort of yeah. like the kind of, um, the kind of sort of racism that you'll see perpetuated in communities that profess to be really understanding, like our sure. industry, like like like, you know. Um, so much of media, which people will say is mm-hmm. left-leaning, but but also, of course, is like built in the cauldron mm-hmm. of white supremacy because that's that's the air that we're breathing, and not mm-hmm. being able to see it because you you can always point to someone else who's worse, right? And mm-hmm. if you can say that, then you're like maybe I'm off the hook. And I think we did a bunch of that in international schools, and I can see that. And the other thing totally. is like, I think there's a way of like, do you remember? Was it um, what is his name, Matt Damon, when they yeah. when there was that thing about like. Uh, he got called on like diversity in his, that program. I don't know. I don't know much about Matt Damon. I'm sorry. This is a bad anecdote. You know what I'm talking about. about, And he was like, he was like, diversity is in front of the camera. Cause like, I think it was like a a black woman who was on this show with him kind of called him on it and was sort of like, what about the producers? What about the people behind the camera? And, and he sort of tried Mm. to be like, shut it down but be like, diversity in front of the camera. And I think in a way we see that sometimes in our schools, international schools where it's like, Oh, we have sort of a, we are the world student population, but all of the authority figures tend to be coming from the states and are usually white. And so there's this real Mm -hmm. hierarchy and dynamic built between who makes and enforces the rules, whose rules they are. And then it's like, but all of these like black and brown kids (laughs) are here. And, you know, and that, I don't know, it's interesting.
0: It is very interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, I have a few more questions for you. I could probably talk to you longer just based on like the connections that we have, Our but I won't keep you, I won't keep you. Yeah. I, won't keep you. <laughs> um, I guess my other question for you was like, how do and you kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, how do you continue to learn in order to stay on like top of things um, with like your role? Um, is that a tough question? It's not really a really tough question. Is I it?
1: mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a huge question, right? Cause I'm like, okay, learn, I'm like, there's so many I was like, what is learn? What is role? Like first I mean yeah. do you mean like role like as a publisher, as a children's book editor, as a leader, well, as a mom? Because those things. are all you, things.
0: You you carry a lot of hats. So no. um, the my second question was about the best part of being a mom. So I'll leave that for the second question. Okay. Um, but I think more specifically with like your working job as being an editor um, as being a leader etc
1: yeah i mean i think like you know these things are all probably much more integrated than the way i'm going to try to break them down into these sort of compartments but just to try to get my arms around the question i feel
0: Mm -hmm. like part of my
1: role is editorial like how am i a good editor to the authors i work with and you know sometimes i think like oh i'm just getting older and squarer and further away from our target reader so like how am I doing a good job about that and and really like I don't think my selling point was ever like I'm the coolest person you're ever going to meet who's like down with the teenagers and knows everything about them. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like that is just like generationally, that's just a thing that's always going, there's always going to be a divide there and to try to, I mean, I don't know, maybe he's a different kind of book. One could be kind of get around that. For me, I feel like if I can remember sort of an emotional truth with some, like an emotional resonance with real, with real truth and kind of respect them here in that way and remember what it felt to me to be 9, 12, 15 and sort of honor that, then, then I'll then I'll bring something to the table, right? So part of it is um, trying to trying to remember what makes me close to the work, because I think other editors might do it in different ways, and I can never, and I would never want to replicate those ways. I want to really hone my way because I'm only going to be good at that. Um, so so one way, I think, is just to be, to remain internal and and honest about my relationship with childhood, know. you know? know? Then there's a piece about, like, the other part about being an editor is, okay, there's the reader, and then there's, like, your creators, our authors and illustrators. And there it's, you know, you keep reading you just keep sort of thinking about new forms of storytelling. That's all. And that I think also comes from just like, I have to nurture my own mind in the world. And if I, if I Mm -hmm. stay interesting in myself, I'll be really valuable to certain creators, right? Because Mm -hmm. they'll interact with me and I will give them back something that someone else might not. And that's like the only Mm -hmm. value I can bring is like, Mm -hmm. how does your brain work? Does it unlock something useful with that? I think, again, I think the piece of being internal is quite important for me because I am not a very, um, I'm not an editor who has like, here's the method I use every time. Like, here's my checklist and here's the process. I kind of like want to talk to the creator and be like, what's the thing you want to say? What is, like, what is behind the thing you think you want to say? And did we actually get to the truth of, about it? And mm-hmm. really get a sense of like pulling what is important and true out of them. And that comes from being as, I, I think, empathetic, curious, open as i can be and so in some ways i was i was telling a friend this that this past year has been in many ways very traumatic but i think living through some of the pain that i've had has been so useful because i think it might make me a more empathetic person which i think will probably Mm. make me a better editor and i see it now that when i read some things I read them in a different way than I ever did before. And there's a certain softness with my eyes where I can kind of sink into another level of it rather than before I was very focused in my mind. I would approach things with a very sharp intellectual edge. Mm -hmm. And now some of the sharpness has fallen away. And I think it might allow me to help nurture some of a different sort of emotional storytelling. So I think there's a part of that. It's like, you have to remain active in your own mind and in your relationship with your own heart if you're gonna do a good Mm -hmm. job there. And then the leadership piece. I am one of those people who like kind of loves like leadership books and courses. Like I'm into that. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I don't know. So like whenever you know Bertelsmann or Penguin Random House, like our you know parent company wants to like send me off on some training, I'm like I'm a joiner. I'm like put me in. <laughs> I, I love going. I love learning. It's like negotiation or like group dynamics or like how are you in relationship mm-hmm. to other people and how can you better serve your team. I um, if it's well done because I think there's a lot of bad trainings, but if it's well done. I find it quite transformative. So yeah. I think I like being open to that because it's another chance to be like, I can learn and I can be better and it'll probably inform all of my relationships, not just at work. So does that answer your question?
0: It does a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I love all of that. Um, I love listening to people that talk about empathy. Um, is something I love sharing in the classroom and helping kids understand. And when I hear leaders doing that not only just like in the work that they're doing but like around the people that they're working with like it just for one it just makes me feel more comfortable (laughs) which is great um but on top of that it just shows me that you are looking at it in such a way that is like taking away so much judgment right away um and for me I think that's huge like I can't even imagine um not looking at something with empathy because it's just like I don't know, like, I have kids in my classroom who are so empathetic, and I don't know where it comes from, but they just, like, with everything, I'm giving them scenarios, and the first thing they're looking at is, like, okay, so how do we take care of that person? How do we take care of that animal? Like, what do we do to support them? And I'm, like, how do you, like, how did you like, at age eight and nine years old, how do you get there? And I think it starts with, like, the reflection stuff that you talked about. And I loved hearing how you did so much reflecting and how that reflecting has like kind of transformed your way of thinking. That process in itself is just like fascinating to me. And I love helping kids try to get there. It's harder with kids, obviously, and they have diagrams and post-it notes everywhere, but I love hearing that adults are doing the same thing because I think that's what allows us to grow, to be better people when we do that kind of reflection. Um, I mean, I think about the work
1: that you're probably doing with the kids. Like when you say you make diagrams and that kind of thing, like Mm -hmm. I see it in my daughter's school too, where like now everyone's talking about SEL, right? Mm -hmm. And they have Mm -hmm. all of these, um, yeah, like posters on the wall about being like, what zone are you in? How do you get from Mm -hmm. like the yellow zone to Mm -hmm. the green zone? Mm -hmm. And like, Mm -hmm. what are these, you know, all of this sort of stuff about like how you bring yourself. So you're like ready to receive exchange with other people, which is like kind of being Mm -hmm. ready to learn and, you know, Mm And that you are giving kids language to talk about it, which also means that they have like tools to like identify it..
0: percent. It's
1: so amazing.
0: was like yeah. I, I
1: was like, can we have these posters all over our office and home and every part of adult life? because <laughs> it's
0: so true.
1: We'd be in such a different place. I, I, yeah, so I think so like true. in some ways, all I'm trying to do is catch up on some of the stuff that you're probably already doing with your kids.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm catching up with them. Like I'm, I'm reading stuff and I'm figuring out things, but I'm looking at them like I wish I had this type of language or toolbox when I was a kid because then I would have been able to, like I struggle so much with like just feelings in general and sharing them out. Like if I had any of these social emotional things when I was in school, like it would have given me practice as I got older with relationships with my parents with friends etc um but I didn't have that so watching kids and giving them the opportunity to do it now is just it's just fun it's really fun to see that they're gonna have that they're getting the opportunity to at least give it a shot Mm -hmm. um because you know like some kids this just takes longer or they just need they have other needs etc so um I love that was a great answer that was a really really good answer (laughs) The last, the last question is just simply about being a mom, and what is the best part about being a mom for you? I'm sure there's lots of things as well, so you have to obviously say one thing. Yeah,
1: there's so many things. It's funny because Uma and I were talking about this kind of this morning. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: How um, I think one of the best parts is that. And maybe it's like I'm kind of responding to like what it means to be a mom to a nine-year-old in this moment because it's like changes so much right it meant a different thing when she was a baby it meant a different thing when she was four but like what I love now is the kinds of conversations we can have like I think I'm probably a person i I imagine most people are this way but I actually don't know because you know we only see the world through our own filter but like you know i kind of joke with my friends that i'm like an intimacy junkie <laughs> like i really want to be like deeply close to mm. the people i'm close with right and then everyone else i know and the reason why it probably vibrates in my body with such intensity is because the rest of the time we're sharpening some pencils
0: <laughs> i love it
1: um, because the rest of the time i um i i i, I believe what i do is keep most people at an emotional arm's length. Mm-hmm. It's like, now we get, now, now we approach the therapy section of our interview. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was talking to Uma about this and saying, you know, what I love is that now we're at the place where, of course I love her as a mom. She, she knows, you know, she knows me as her, like as a daughter that, but we're starting to connect as like two people and we'll have conversations where, something will fall away and usually Mm. it's like in bed like right before sleep when the kind of veil is thinnest Mm -hmm. and we're just talking really openly and she and i will reveal like really true things to each other and it feels so good because you know that you are being really close to someone you love in that moment. And she kind of, she can tell like, and I can tell when she can tell, which is what's so interesting. It's like this like really weird but lovely feedback loop where she'll kind of look at me and she gives me a certain kind of eye contact that's sort of like, I see you loving up on me right now, mama. I can tell she knows it. And oftentimes I'll just be saying something and she gives me that face and she'll stop whatever she's doing. She'll come and just give me a hug. And it sort of says to me, like, she knows what's up. And then I'm like, that is the thing. That's the best part of, oh. like, that's one of the moments I think is like, makes being a parent so wonderful. When you're like, yes, I'm attached to you as a mother, but really like, you know, you're a totally separate person. And my job is just to like, help you on your way of being that other person. And yet we're still connecting. And it's in a really true way. That feels the best. I love, I love that.
0: that. That sounds so good. And I think it's like you're everything. And now it's like you're, it's like this really close friendship, like you're friends as well. Like you're all those things and you're also friends. And for her, I love eight, nine year olds, like just developmentally, they're like my favorite people in the world. Like (laughs) they are starting to become interested in things. They can start to share their feelings a little bit more. Um, they can say no, which I think is like so important. Like they are able to start to really advocate for the things they need. Um, Yeah, I love hearing that you're having those conversations with her. Um, I push my parents as much as possible to dig and have conversations with them about everything. Um, And I think they do know. Whatever that look is, I think all kids can get a sense of when their parents are feeling something or sharing something that's important. Um, and I love that you guys have that because it just, I think that bond is really cool. And I'm sure she really appreciates that as well. Yeah. Just <laughs> like she know we're gave me, talking about
1: He gave me a little nod, which was really nice. I thought she'd look up and be like, what the heck? <laughs>
0: i want to thank you and uma even though she's like in the background right now yeah come say bye bye. it was so much fun it was so much fun where is she ah there you are (laughs) you rock star thanks for hanging out now you're are you hiding why are you hiding from me oh there you are (laughs) Uma, thanks for hanging out with us
1: are you gonna do all my podcasts with me now I guess. <laughs> like we're a twofer now. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I think he is great. And now you get to, you sound like you have an amazing day ahead of you.
1: Baking and binge watching.
0: Nothing wrong I'm into with that. it.
1: It's Kind of <laughs> sounds like a great day to me. Same.
0: Who's going to do all the baking?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny it. do, we're gonna do baking even though we don't actually have working gas in our apartment
0: oh, um, really?
1: so oh, yeah we're gonna manage with a toaster oven a hot plate whatever it can be made a toaster oven a hot plate a fridge so it might be, not be baking it's just gonna be treats that are minimally heat related creative so we're gonna figure it creative. out I love it's that. gonna be it good be
0: creative
1: right a lot it's an ice box, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, ice box cake yeah icebox cake What's that? Maybe I've the So we're gonna find out. <laughs> <Is there laughs> where, can, where can, where can people find you online? People can find She's me in a box. Basically. <laughs> yes. um, That's the color of a <laughs> box. It could be if it were like a light chocolate. Uma. Um, <laughs> where can people find me online? I so I'm I'm not super active online, but I'm there. So um, I'm at Tweetpathy like but with the word tweet, which I thought was incredibly clever when I first got <laughs> on Twitter, only as a, I did as a joke for an author friend of mine. It was Corey Whaley. who was like, you should be on here. And I was like, I will be tweet And he was like, this is perfect. So I was like, this is my gift to you. I hardly I ever like tweet, but on, on Instagram it. as well. Um, but also Kokila or Kokila Books is on Twitter and Instagram and a little bit on Facebook. I feel like mm-hmm. Instagram is a good place to know about what we are doing, some of the books that are coming out, interesting things our authors are up to, that's probably what's more fun than. And what about reading.
0: people and this is I don't know if you can answer this quickly, but if people are looking to submit things or just wanting to yeah. write in general, what it, what quick advice could you share with them?
1: Yeah, I mean, if they want to submit things to us, if they feel like we'd be a good fit, we if you just go to our imprint page, so just search like Kokila Penguin. If you just look that Mm -hmm. up, you'll probably get to our imprint page. And there are, um, uh, there's all the instructions for how we do an open submissions period every fall. So if you don't have an agent, it's no problem. And you can submit as long as it falls within the guidelines of what we're looking for. I think it's between September and December usually. And then we spend the rest of the year kind of reading all of the submissions we get. And we've acquired a number of things through the open uh, unagented submissions call. So that might be a thing to do. Um, and then if people are just starting to get into writing, I mean, there's so many different organizations to join and we could get into that, but I feel like people probably know like SCBWI, there might be other orgs mm. that are sort of more focused on communities of color. So depending on sort of what community you come from, Twitter's a good place to find those folks. Mm. Um, and um, And I guess for writers, the thing that everyone always says is read a lot. And I think that's probably very, very true. I think that'd probably be super important, um, but hopefully that gives people a place to start.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. I really do. And I, I do think, I love that you said just like online in general, like Twitter and like like SC is, all those things are so important. and I think they're accessible to people just through the internet. So right. I think people should use them because there's people talking about writing and, how you find agents and talk to publishers and get help. It's it's out there. Um yep. if you if you really are interested. So thank you. That was perfect advice.
1: I would also say DV Pit, if you're like a diverse creator on Twitter there's a you know hashtag D V Pit with it twice a year there's a chance to pitch your book and then see if you can connect with an agent and then that agent can see if they connect with an editor. So it could be also be very helpful if people are oh, into that's that.
0: That's cool. I didn't I didn't know about that. What is yeah. it called again? Sorry. D-V-Pitt.
1: D-V-Pitt. The letter yeah. D, the letter V, P-I-T. So and start by Beth Phelan, who's an, uh, who's an agent here in the U.S. And um, started this some years ago. And it's helped a lot of people get their work in front of agents and editors and then begin their path to publication. So there's lots of things like that that exist. There's so many people doing really good work.
0: That's so good.